morning. It's good to see, see you. It's good to be with you. And um, it's good just to, to be uh, in the Word with you. I don't, I don't really have, I don't have a series I'm going through right now just to say what I'm doing. I'm just opening the Bible up every week and stopping when something catches my heart. And I'll, I'm preaching that, so we're not really in Matthew right now. Kind of pause from that. So I feel like we're still in just a strange season and coming out of quarantine. And so I'm just kind of going week by week and just saying, Lord, what, what's, what's a word we need? What, what's, a, what's something we need just to catch fire? So who knows what we're going to get, but it's going to be good because it's the Bible, I think. So I think that's just, if it's from the Bible, we're all right. This is what I think. Um, so we'll be this morning in Ephesians um, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And this is what Paul says in his letter to the, the church at Ephesus. He says, For thou my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. About a month ago, maybe two months ago, I, I came home and I was getting a glass out of uh, the cabinet and uh, the glass slipped through my fingers and it busted on the counter and apparently I have really slow reflexes because I tried to catch it, but by the time I did it, it already busted and it cut my hand clean open right there. And so I showed you my wound, some of you. Um, and it cut me wide open on my hand. Um, and there was blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. Uh, it was blood all over the floor. And it was just running down. And sorry to be gory. But there was a lot, a lot of blood. And, and, and I want my hand to be fixed. But I'm also thinking, like, I can't lose too much blood. Am I going to bleed out? I wasn't. But it's... When you see your own blood, it's, it's kind of a scary, scary thing because the truth is you can, uh, you can live without a lot of, lot of things on your, your body. I would like to have two hands. I'd like to, you know, be a person. You would too. But, you, you know, you, you can do without a lot of things. You can't do without blood. We all have to have blood. You have to have blood to live. What does blood do? Blood, it gives oxygen. It gives nutrients. Uh, blood, it gets uh, waste out of your body. Blood knows how to clot so you don't bleed out. So blood is, is very much so your life. You, you must have blood to live and to survive and to go on. And in the same way, Paul, he's praying for the Ephesians because he knows what they need spiritually to thrive, what they need to survive. He knows what they cannot do without. And what they need is strength from the Spirit of God. That's what they need. You can't do without that. I think for a lot of people, like, yeah, we got a Father and there's, you know, Jesus. The Spirit 
you know, I don't, is that like a floating orb of light somewhere? Is this just this impersonal force that moves around? And the Spirit's not. The Spirit is a person. And that Spirit, that person, He knows exactly what you and I need to keep on in the Christian life. He's the only one that has it. And He has it in full supply. So friends, do we, do we know the Spirit and do we know what we need from the Spirit, what we need to be supplied, strengthened by, not just to survive, that's not what Paul wants, but to flourish in the Christian life. That's, that's this, this very profound, very sober prayer on Paul's behalf for the Ephesian Christians, spiritual strength. Verse 14 he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what, what is this reason? What reason, Paul, are you, are you getting down on your knees in this great reverence that your, your prayer is not passed over but God would quickly supply it. When General Paul's talking about the gospel, and if you've read through Ephesians, and you should, it's a short, short little letter, he's praying specifically for the mystery of the gospel. And that mystery was that Jesus was going to bring a salvation, not just for Jews, but Jesus was going to bring a salvation for Gentiles. That's you, unless you're a Jew. I don't think any of us are, but if, you, if you're Jew or Gentile, it's God's salvation for the whole world. Jesus was going to bring peace between God and man and between man and man. Jesus' blood would be enough so that you and I could be called, Paul says earlier in Ephesians, members of the household of God. Think about that privileged statement. You could be called a member of God's house, saved from the wrath of God, saved from the ruling power of Satan, from the course of this world. These are phrases he uses. He says you were like the rest of mankind. You were like the rest. But being at war with God and man, you have been lifted above the fall. And lifted above the fall for Paul is a precious thing. And I want us to grab onto this. It's not a small thing. For Paul, you read through all his letters, it's a precious thing to be called a Christian. It's a precious thing to be called a member of the local church. And so that's why Paul's on his knees. He cares about their welfare. He's got deep affection for these fellow Christians. So what does Paul do? And this is the greatest thing Paul can do for them. And let me say to you, it is the greatest thing you can do for yourself. And it is the greatest thing that we can do for one another. He prays. And he prays specifically that the Christians in Ephesus would not have a partial Christian experience, but they would have a, the full reality of the gospel in their life. And that's at risk, always. It's at risk because there's so many forces trying to cheapen that experience, if not altogether wipe it out. So Paul prays. To whom does Paul pray? Paul prays to the Father, who is the Father of every family in heaven and on earth. And what does that mean? Well, it's just to say, 
God the Father is father of all. Any father, I'm a father, any father that is a father, you have fatherhood because it started with God's fatherhood. So every family, every creature in all creation, it started with the father. So if there's anyone who has the power to supply what the Ephesians need, and if there's anyone who cares, it would be this father who has put together this Christian family in Ephesus. That is to whom he makes this petition. And the petition is for unlimited resources to strengthen these Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit in their inner being. All right? So that's what the prayer is for. But for what? What do you and I need? Okay? Two things I want us to see this morning. First thing, you and I need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that we have power for believing. You and I need to have power for believing. He says in 16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul's addressing a very real struggle you and I have. All right? It's a word, in a word, I can say it. It's drift. Paul's talking about spiritual drift. But just think about drift on a very natural human level. Have you ever maybe taken up a hobby or you've gotten interested in some new endeavor? Uh, maybe it's exercise, something like that. Maybe it's woodworking, crafting, sewing, something. And you get just so into it and you study it and you just want to know everything about it and you invest time in it and you spend a lot of money to get just the right tools to do it. But what happens over time? Well, over time, uh, work pulls you away, you know, you got a family to take care of. And then even the endeavor itself, it ended up being a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. So you end up with what? You end up with a lot of good knowledge about a subject. You end up with a lot of great tools for that very thing, but it's really disconnected from your life now, you see. And that is what Paul is saying to us on a spiritual level. In spiritual terms, Paul is saying it's not enough to start with God. The only thing that counts is that you and I go on through and finish with God. So Paul's not under any illusion that you and I have the spiritual wherewithal to begin a journey to pursue Christ. So Paul's certainly not under the illusion you and I have the spiritual grit to stay the course. He talks about your inner being, which is to say your soul, which is to say that part of you that goes on forever. And that inner being has been by sin made anemic. It's been made anemic towards God. It's been made anemic towards what's right, towards heavenliness. And it's that inner man, Paul says, was captive to Satan. But he says this amazing thing, God alone has made that inner person alive in Christ Jesus. So if my inner man cannot be resurrected by anything but the power of God's Spirit alone, Here's what Paul's making abundantly clear. It's only the Spirit of God that's going to give you the power to keep on believing and apprehending Christ for every single moment after conversion. It's only God's Spirit and God's power. Even the faith, Paul says in chapter 2, is a gift from God to believe. And you hear that and you think, well, goodness, can I do nothing on my own? The Bible says no. You say, am I so weak? The Bible says, yes, you're so weak. 
But it's interesting in God's kingdom how everything is upside down. Because in God's kingdom, being weak is a blessed thing. And here's why. It's a blessed thing, friends, because when you and I, when we come to the end of ourselves and we see our weakness, that's the moment where God's power, God's spirit comes in to will and to work the might of God according to God's glorious riches, his storehouses of power to keep you and I believing, to keep you and I abiding until the end. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So weakness is Paul's great boast. So we can't say, I have believed once. I had faith in Christ once. I saw my weakness once. No, 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 no. If you saw in one moment, you cannot be right apart from the God who is righteous. You must see in every moment you cannot be right or righteous or strong unless you have that God within you. So Christian faith is two things. First thing it is, it's deeply humble because it gives you a mirror by which you can accurately see your own smallness. You can see your own weakness. But at the same time, faith gives us a lens through which to confidently behold the power of God that's made perfect in us when we see how weak we are. So come to Jesus, friends, not for a drink. Come to Jesus for the well. Come to Jesus for a full supply in all of life, in every moment. I don't come and I leave and I come and I leave. I come and I stay and the well is my life. Christ is the author of my faith. The scriptures say Christ is the perfecter of my faith. He birthed me in the spirit and so also he'll grow me up to completion. We need the spirit to keep on Believing. We need a constant supply. You know why you and I need a constant supply? Because your flesh and my flesh is constantly at risk, not to just shirk off a little bit, but to apostatize. You say, that's gone too far. I would never. Oh, yes, you would. And so would I, be it not for the grace of God that empowers you and I in the spirit every moment to keep us until the end. Paul says the flesh cannot apprehend the spirit. It cannot be so. So so you see what a blessing, what a great privilege it was for the Ephesians to experience the, the knowledge that Paul prayed this. The one thing they need faith, not just to grab Christ, but to hold on to Christ until the very end. What are the odds for us to, to keep the course? Zero. I mean, there's no good, no chance, right? Your, your, your sinful self it constantly wants to revert. The enemy's crafty to get you down on one knee. The word wants you to conform. It wants you to conform. It wants you to conform. But the power of Christ in you and me always, it overrides the odds. And it's a promise and it's a power that you will keep the course. When the Spirit is at work in us to produce faith in Jesus. And I want you to see the, the language Paul uses here to kind of tease this out. It's, it's really a, a precious language he uses. He says, Christ dwell in your hearts. Christ dwell in your hearts. Now that, that, that's a pretty intimate term. The, the idea of Christ taking up a boat in your soul, 
right? It's, it's one thing to visit people. You know, you visit. It's like, can I leave? You know, you, vi- you just want to go home in your own space. But this is interesting because Paul says Christ doesn't send us, you know, packages from heaven. What, what, what the scripture says is that Christ dwells there. He makes his home in me. That is to say, I am the place, place from which Christ is ruling. He's ruling me. He's, he's reshaping the, 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 the temple of my soul into a place where he wants to be. Like Christ is in me and he's not going anywhere. It's an amazing thought. And there's been a lot of pushback, and rightly so, in the last few years about you know, the sinner's prayer. Like if, if I can just get you to say, hey, uh, if you want to be saved, just... Pray to receive Jesus into your heart and you're going to be saved. Now, I, I like, I agree with that because it's true. Just because you can get someone to parrot something doesn't mean they know what they said or they believe that. But at the same time, friends, verbatim from the text, if you truly see the helplessness of your situation and you see the power of Christ's cross to save, praying and, and meaning that Jesus have a home in my soul and make it what you will, that, that is a powerful saving verse, which makes it a powerful saving prayer when we pray it that Christ would dwell forever in us. You know, when you first start to drive and you don't have a ton of money, you know. I can remember Jessica and I were just married and we're just, you know, you're making it. I, I had a Jeep Wrangler. I love that Jeep Wrangler. It's, it's the only car I wanted growing up. I wanted a Jeep Wrangler. Ugh, I wanted a Jeep Wrangler. My dad finally bought me a Jeep Wrangler, man. But I used to run that thing on E and see how far I could get on E, you know, and you, you chance it, you chance it. And one time I was, I was turning on a green light onto a busy highway and in that turn, oh, I'm hitting the gas, but I'm not going anywhere. And I just barely, you know, I forced that thing off of the road. And I'm afraid that that so often, friends, it looks like our Christian experience. God has storehouses of power for us to thrive. Yet what do we do? We say, I'll have just enough to keep puttering on. I'll take the risk that I'm not going to run out. Uh, It'll be just enough for me to just kind of barely keep going. Charles Simeon, when the great Puritan said, how much do the saints in general live below their privileges? One is complaining of his weakness and insufficiency. Another of his darkness and distance from Christ. One is harassed with doubts and fears. Another bewails his emptiness in the prevalence of sin. Pray for power is the only solution. You know, and I imagine... Uh, you know, in any given church, I imagine our church, there, there's a, v- a variety of opinions perhaps on the gifts of the Spirit. You know, our tongues still in operation today. What gifts does the Spirit do in believers? Let me say to you, whatever you believe about the gifts of the Spirit, you better on some level claim to be a charismatic because if you don't have the charisma of the Spirit in you, you don't have power for Christian living you better claim to have the power of God's Spirit inside of you. Not some of it. It's not an idea. It's a very real living person communicating Christ to us in every situation. How do I do that? What do I do with that? Well, daily, friends, because the battle is daily, isn't it, To, to fall away? This means what? It means daily bathe yourself in the humility that you're weak. Bathe yourself in the confidence of Christ daily, daily, daily. And I want to say this to you. The older you get in the faith, 
the more important this is going to be. Because the older we get, you know what we do? We have a been there, done that attitude. I've read the Bible. I've been to church a bunch. I know all the answers. Like, been there, done that. Consider King David, who had been there, done that. And hard was his fall. Friends, godliness is not, is not the experience necessarily of being greater than we once were. It's the experience of recognizing how small we are and how great Christ is as time goes on. So I'm not getting away from that line between right and wrong. If I'm godly, I just have a greater awareness that the line is there. And I need that humility to see, Lord, if it be not for you alone, I will fall. So never say been there, done that. Always show up, man. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to be changed. I'm ready to be corrected. I'm ready to be convicted. Like, I need that until I'm with Christ in glory. And I just want to draw out one more point here by way of application. Notice Paul says, I bend the knee. He bends the knee. Now, does Paul, or does God hear you and I when we stand to pray? Well, surely he does. Does God hear you now when we lay in bed at night and things come into our mind or we're driving down the road? Yes. But, and C.S. Lewis talks about this, you and I still have a body and our body and souls are connected. So when you and I make that conscious decision as Paul's doing to get down on our knees, what we're doing is saying to God, God, this really matters. We're doing what Jacob did when we get on our knees. We're wrestling. I'm not, hey, Lord, that's important. I'm saying, God, here I am with my soul and my body on the ground, and I'm imploring you. This matters, God. Supply. Supply. So let me say to you, don't pray. Pray. Don't talk to God. Communicate. Wrestle with God in prayer. He wants you to do it. You must do it for success in the Christian life. It's important. So important. Let's be people who bend the knee. Not do... You know, McDonald's prayers. You know what McDonald's prayers are, right? It's quick. It's cheap. I'm not sure I should have done that when you walk away. Like, that's the experience when you eat McDonald's, right? We don't want, we don't want McDonald's prayers. We want a Happy Meal prayers. I want to wrestle with Christ that I may feast on Him. Okay? Second thing that you and I need spiritual strength for, we need spiritual strength for power for comprehending. I need power for comprehending. So he says, power through His Spirit in your inner being, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Rooted and grounded. About two weeks ago, after begging, Jessica said, Can we please replant these gardenia bushes? They're dead and shriveled. We planted them last year. I planted them last year. And they all died. They look pitiful. They're brown. And they just, like, each of them has, like, two leaves sticking off. Either way, and, you know, the problem became apparent... Because Darcy, with no, with no effort, went over there and just went whoosh, and just uprooted them. I'm thinking, i got to get out of there. I have to shovel. I have to dig up these root systems. And it was just, whoosh, they just came out of the ground. Which means they were fa- I failed to give them the establishment they needed. 
they weren't able to thrive, to get the water, to get the nutrients that they need. And I want to say that that's exactly what Paul is alluding to here. Without a proper grounding in the love of God, our Christian lives are going to be these frail, fragile things, and they're one bad season away from dying, from, 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 from altogether disappearing. And so the, 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 chain of clock, uh, the, the chain of thought's clear in Paul, and Paul's really good at doing that. You and I need strength in the Spirit to believe so that Christ would dwell and remake us to His image. But part of that as well of having Christ in us is comprehending, grasping how much God loves you. So that's imperative to a Christian life. So what does it mean to be loved by God? And why does it matter so much to the Christian life? I think about in John chapter 1, verse 48, Nathaniel said to Jesus, when Jesus speaks to him, that Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I think being loved in the simplest terms, it means being known. It means someone has a conscious awareness of you. They're deeply affectionate of you. They care about you. And they will, with their life, to do you good. That's what it means to be loved. It's to be known. So I think we could say then, you know, just to try to put together a collage here of how the Bible would describe us being loved. I think that Paul, Paul says earlier in Chapter 1, he says that you've been predestined to salvation. It means before time began, God looked down the corridors of time. And he saw you. and He saw the salvation of His Son for your soul. And He saw that you would come to Christ. And He meant good for you. And it means that God meant and means to remove your guilt. In God's blood, it takes away your shame. And it means every day in failure, there's endless mercy and forgiveness. And the scriptures tell us that God, He's your protection in every scheme and crafty uh, idea of Satan to take you out. It means that God is already aware of that scheme and He knows how He's going to save you. And it says that God is your help. And you know what it means to be loved? It means to be disciplined. It means that God's not going to let you wander around in your sin. He's going to whack you with the stick when you need it because He's not going to let you fall. You know, I was reading Ezekiel earlier this week, and it says all this sin that you people, are, they're in captivity. They're in exile in Babylon. And God says all the ideas in your mind about how you're going to go after the nations, it says this shall not happen. Hold on to that for a second. Even in your dumbest moments of running from God, God is saying back to you in the love of Christ, this shall not happen. It means that God supplies your daily bread. He knows what you need. He knows what your family needs. It means that as a father, He's adopted you and He loves you as a dear child. It means that Jesus is your shepherd king who takes care of you and meets your needs and protects you and, and pulls you in at night and he rules over you in goodness. And the scriptures say that God wants to be your friend. Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. And it means that the Spirit is ever present with us, giving us all peace and strength for the journey. And it means, God's love, that there is future glory. 
that God intends and will give us an eternal home with Him with all the riches of the glorious inheritance of being in Christ. The Scriptures say you are a co-heir with Christ. God wants to know you. He wants you to be satisfied in Him. All of that and so much more. And maybe if I was a better preacher, I could say it better and say more. But even that, if you hear it in the Spirit, you've got to come to the humbling conclusion, all of that is more than my hands can hold. It's more really than my eyes can totally see. It's it's more than my mouth could describe. So at one and the same time in the Spirit, the the Scriptures say here that you not comprehend the length, height, depth, width of of, of God's love, but also at the same time there's that humbling realization, I can never get to the end of it. So I'm satisfied in it and I have it and, and I can't explain in words how I comprehend it. But at the same time, I can't, I can't express the full width of it. It's like, it's like looking at the ocean, like it just keeps going. Like I see it, it's there and I'm here at the beach, but, but, but it keeps going. You know, and I think that's the experience that you and I need to have in the Christian life. One of my favorite songs long ago, it says to have found you and to still be looking for you found you and to still be looking for you. That's the soul's paradox of love. You fill my cup and I lift it up for more. I want to say to you in the plainest way then this morning, what does it mean to be loved by God? I think we could simply say it this way. Let's look at 1 John 4, 9. John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So so what what does it mean to be loved by God? It means to know that God killed His Son for you. And that is God's megaphone to say you are loved. That can be a general truth. Yes, that's part of the religion of Christianity. Jesus died on the cross. Or that can be very personal. It can can be your personal experience to know and feel that Jesus bled out. Right? He didn't go get stitched up like me. Jesus bled out for you. Loves you. He loves you. So that's, I think, what it means To be loved by God, why does that matter for the journey? Why does Paul say it matters you and I live there? Three things. When I live in the reality of God's love for me, I keep going no matter the personal cost. The cost will be great, but the love of God I experience is so much greater than the weight of the suffering of the cross. It keeps me moving towards the end. That's one Two, when I live in the reality of God's love for me, I live free from sin and shame. Grace becomes my song. So with every misstep, I don't drown myself in despair and I give up. I can't do it. There's grace. God loves me. He's abundantly supplied in Christ Jesus. I can't get outside of His love. That keeps me running. I can't be drowned in despair. I've been washed clean no matter what. And three, when I live in the reality of God's love for me, I'm set free to love others the same way. You know, because really you, 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 you love others the way you perceive love, you know. And that's always such an, 
that's always uh, so telling for me personally, is, and especially with my family, um, Monday, last Monday, we went, we went on a walk with the kids. Monday's my day off. I don't work on Mondays. Try not to. Stay at home with the kids, whatever. We went for a walk around the neighborhood. And I was just being short. I was just being like, get up, stop, get over there. And I was just being very rude with my daughter and my son and my wife. And I just was short. And, and it just, and you know, Jessica rightly corrected me on it. And it just hit me like a ton of It's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm getting up here and I'm like preaching the grace and the love of God. And then here I am not, not, not living that out in the context where it's most important my family. It's like, Lord, forgive me. Remind me of how gentle and kind and good you are to me. So that shapes the way that I am, regardless of how I am loved. Because make no mistake about it, people are going to love you wrong all the time. But if you grasp how much God loves you, it won't change your love because you know it can't be taken away. No one can take away from you the way you have been loved. You know, so it's always your choice to love like God or to choose not to do that. But when I live in the fullness and the reality of God's love, I love like Jesus loves me. There's this, this is older preacher and he's passed away from polio many years ago. His name was Dave Busby. He passed away in the 90s, but he told this story one time in a sermon, and the story's always stuck with me, and I love it, and every once in a while I'll go back, and I'll just watch this clip, because it just, it just moves in me so much, but he told a story of, he, he, he remembers, this was 33 years ago in Nashville on a Saturday. He was, he was an 11-, 12-year-old boy. He woke up one Saturday, and uh, he could see that his older brother, who was a senior in high school, really good at basketball, was out there playing with his friends, and he got in his mind, I'm going to go down there and play. And he goes down and his mom says, no, let, the, let them play. They're bigger than you. And he says, no, I'm going to go play basketball with them. So they go out there and they all line up to shoot out to see who's going to be captains. And, of course, he, he misses, you know, first time he's out. And it gets down to his older brother and, and someone else. And then they shoot out to see who gets first pick. And it goes on, it goes on, it goes on. Eventually his brother, his brother wins and his brother's got first pick. And so he says as they all line up down the wall, he says his brother sticks out his big long arm and his finger, and he scans down that line. And he says, wonder of wonders, his finger landed on me. And he said to me, David, I have first pick, and I choose you. And he said there on, there on that Saturday, clear blue sky, Nashville, Tennessee, he said, I did not with dignity go and stand by his side in front of his peers. He said, in front of his peers, I walked into my brother's chest and I wet the front of his shirt with my tears. And he just put his arm around me and he just kept picking. He said, you know what I tasted that day? Though it was 33 years ago? He said, I tasted what it means to be wanted. And friends, when you and I can just sit at the foot of the cross and we can block out the enemy, we can block out our own selves and block out the world, we taste what it means to be wanted by God, that He would love sinners like you and I. And it's powerful to keep us going. It's powerful to keep us saved. You are loved by God. And you need not sample the love of God. You need to savor it. So spiritual strength, at the end of it, why, why, why is Paul praying that you and I have spiritual strength? He tells us in 19. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
filled with the fullness of God. With the power of the Spirit, friends, we are enabled to hold on to Christ. And in holding on to Christ, man, we know what we lost. We know what it is to love righteousness and to obey God and to love His laws and to love His rules and to be remade into His image, to be good and to do good and in knowing that Christ Jesus has supplied that and He hasn't judged us according to the law, we experience what it means to be love. The very definition of love, God Himself is in us and it's satisfying and it's good. And we just live there when the Spirit supplies it. When we ask for it, we're filled with all the fullness of God. You know, and I don't think it's like, well, can we explain being filled? No. Like you just feel the fullness of God. It's, it's beyond words. Just I'm full of God. And you know what happens when you're full of God? You don't have any place for any other silly treasure or trinket. When you're full of God, you taste the light of heaven and you don't desire the things of this earth. When you're full of God, you see the tactics of the enemy as weak shadows that cannot overcome your soul. When you're full of God, friends, you've got the vitality and life of Christ in you, and you're made whole, and you're made complete. So Paul prays, by faith receive Christ. By faith have power in the Spirit. By faith feel and know the incomprehensible love of God. There's nothing you can supply yourself. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So don't be found to be silent in the ear of God. Ask. Ask for the power. Don't run on E. Ask for the power. He desires to give you the power. The power is there. Pray for it. And don't just pray it for you. Pray it for we. Pray it for us. I want it. Lord, I'm praying for Richard and I'm praying for Elaine and I'm praying for Sarah and I'm praying for Kay. God, I want them to be filled up with God that they would be satisfied and stay the course to the end. That's, that's the great privilege of having Christ and knowing Christ. He says, comprehend the love by yourself. That's not what Paul said. Paul says, comprehend that love with all the saints. With all the saints. We're empowered and we're satisfied. And we'll all be kept until the very end. We'll all be filled with all the fullness.